This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Though we at the Reading Circle Temple love young adult literature, we also love old adult language. This episode also contains a brief mention of suicide. Please listen responsibly. Hello, and welcome to the Reading Circle Temple. I'm Molly. I'm Indy. I'm Brittany. And I'm Goodwin. And today we are recapping Triss's book. So grab your cup of coffee. Or tea. Or your drink of choice. Let's talk about pirates. Here's what I hate about pirates. They <laughs> suck. <laughs> oh, man. So so let's talk about pirates. I just think that this is really interesting to read because pirates still exist. And there's this amazing performance poem by a guy named Justin Lamb, who is from New Orleans. And it talks about the Somali pirates. The whole first half of the poems, like a minute and a half of this, is just him ranting about why do pirates still exist? And he's like, the dodo bird has long been extinct, but parrots have survived supposedly on the shoulders of pirates. Somewhere in the ocean, there's a pirate going, yar, me wireless is down. And it's just hilarious. And then he goes, but why do pirates still exist? Seriously. And then he turns and he says, well, seriously. And he explains all of the economic issues behind why pirates yeah. That is why I put, let's talk about pirates at the top of my notes for this episode, because as a kid reading about the pirate attack, this didn't occur to me. But as an adult, I really want to know about the economic issues that are going on here, because clearly there was something that sparked these people to become pirates in the first place. And historically, people become pirates because there are socioeconomic or sometimes legal issues that they feel like they can't operate within the legal bounds of society. 
in a lot of cases, it's socioeconomic things where it's, I can't make enough to survive on. So I'm just going to go like steal money from people. But what I think is really interesting is that when we think of the classical piracy period, as it were, piracy was in ways, it was a more egalitarian society. They often took better care of their people. A lot of pirate captains had things set up. So it was like, if you get injured, then you get this extra money or whatever. So they had like healthcare systems. I know that I talked about Ching Shi in this book because the pirate captain lady reminds me of her. And she had very strict rules about if you rape somebody, I am going to some lead weights around your ankles and knock you overboard. People could get better lives out of pirate communities than they could normal society. I think I've mentioned this before. I know I've talked about it recently. I know I've talked about it with Piney. One of the big things that really kicked off piracy was the uh, East India trade, the spice trade, because they were getting spice and stuff by pretty much just going in and going oh this is mine now fuck you and one of the big things about piracy is most of the pirates during that time would go for these trade ships and almost always is they would come back to shore and they would sell them for dirt cheap which I always thought was really neat because it was kind of a Robin Hood-esque thing. I was just going to say, oh, it's kind of like Robin Hood, who was an outlaw, but we're like, yay, outlaws are good. But then we're like, ooh, pirates are bad. There are so many neat things about piracy over the years that have shaped so much of the culture without really seeming like something that would shape culture half the reason why we have laws that we have that deal with international waters is because of pirates in general so it's really cool to see how it has affected modern times for these older more traditional pirates and how it has led way to the pirates that we have now and there's a lot of bad pirates let's be honest with you. But you have to think, well, they go in, they capture these ships full of weapons or some kind of trade, and then they go back and they're like, oh, we're going to sell these for, you know, profit. And a lot of the times they sell it such a cut of what they're worth. And obviously selling weapons to good people, but still that same kind of philosophy of, taking from these people who have money and giving it to people who don't have money. It's just the context has changed. So what I'm hearing is we need to figure out what the equivalent of piracy is for Amazon. I mean, they got Um, porch pirates. They do. My kind of piracy is stealing a warship and sinking the boats like the yachts of rich people. But it's... (laughs) break them and then you sink them so you're living off of rich people wealth (laughs) that's maintaining your ship that's feeding your people and then you just keep going and doing it goodwin asked in the last episode like it's interesting that the view of the characters in this book is very anti-pirate there's all this fear of pirates but 
we also have a lot of literature where pirates are kind of romanticized and sort of why is that? And I wonder if that has anything to do with it, that history of the sort of Robin Hood pirate. I definitely think that it really depends on how advanced your society has become. Because when you look at the main golden age of piracy, which was what, like the 16, 17, 1800s, right? A lot of it was, like Indy said, based somewhere either with or in opposition of the East India Company. So there were privateers, sometimes from Spain, sent to attack the East India Company, kind of cut out their competition, and vice versa. Their company hired people to go after Spanish armadas for the same reason. They just wanted to kind of fight each other. So that was kind of a more, I guess, gentlemanly form of piracy. They weren't necessarily going after the easiest targets or anything. They were kind of specifically going for certain people. In the society of this book, I'm not 100%, but it definitely seems like they're more of an agricultural kind of... Clearly, they have trade and stuff, but it doesn't seem to be very advanced. Since they do have magic to work with, I think that helps a little bit. For an agricultural community, getting attacked by raiders is absolutely terrifying. Especially if you're on the outskirts. Like if you're in a city, okay, you got the guard, you got people around you. But when you're out in, you know, in the country or something, prominent on your plot of land and you see 10 ships coming over the horizon, coming right at you, you're kind of just like, oh, I'm boned. What, what can I do? And that's why I think it's sort of less glamorized. It's more of a life or death thing for like everybody instead of just people that are only on boats or shipping valuable supplies. It's, yeah. it's for anybody. Yeah. And it is great that we have literature that shows both sides of that. I can read this book and then I can read, I don't know, like Bloody Jack or something. Tris's book. What was your biggest takeaway? Pirates are bad. (laughs) (laughs) I think mine was responsibility and like learning it. I see that in a lot of places in this book, like with Triss and Shriek. I think that's a real obvious one. She kind of took responsibility for this poor baby bird and it's annoying and stuff, but she did it. Also with Triss, learning more about her powers and learning that she is very powerful and that something that she does can't just be taken back. Like when she pointed at Briar, he was like, Don't be doing that. That's literally a weapon. Very similar for me. I think for me, the big takeaway with this had to do with anger and kind of how anger can be incredibly powerful, but why that power can also be dangerous. We see that a lot with Triss because she makes a hailstorm because she's pissed off at the people who killed her cousin which has its upside because the hailstorm wakes people up and they're able to not get slaughtered by pirates. But also, if she isn't able to control that on a regular basis, then she's just going to be going around destroying everything. And it was. Yeah, she was, which is basically what she says at the end. Like, if I can't get control over this, then, then I'm done for. I have always had anger issues. So I guess on that front, I just feel like, wow, I'm really glad that I encountered this book when I was a kid, because even though I don't think I read with that kind of depth as a kid, there was probably something about it that sunk in. And I know that even as a kid, I had that connection to Triss and her strong emotions and the way they would affect things around her. 
I was just talking to a friend the other, the other day about how when I get upset at somebody, I will avoid them for like days on end. And I was like, it's not just because I'm mad at them, but it's because I know that if I try to talk to them, I will be so angry that I will not be productive in that conversation. And I will just yell at them and, and I don't want to do that. I guess in a sense, I feel like I have grown alongside Tris, which is meaningful for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. I can see that this clearly, this is one of your favorite book series. So I, I can see why it's a good book this overall. And I think as an adult or as a kid, there's stuff that you can take out of this and put into your own life. Yeah. Cause there are a lot of books that I read as a kid that really hit me hard and I loved. And then I read them again as an adult and I was just like, this was, this was okay. But when I find a YA series that I read as a kid and then read it again as an adult and it still hits me the same way or has new things to discover, that makes it very powerful. I also like what you were talking about because I also have anger issues as well. And so seeing her be able to learn to try to control that was awesome. But the thing that I really pulled out of this book was learning to trust again because in Sandry's book, she obviously isn't trusting anybody anymore because she doesn't ever stay anywhere for very long. And she's able to start trusting people again in this book. It's very important to be able to at least trust somebody. So I have two that I kind of pulled out of this book. One of which is more towards the front half, which is trust your instincts. They're instincts for a reason, um, both from learned and, well, mostly from learned behaviors is why we have those instincts. But it's also kind of in a genetic makeup, for lack of a better term. The reason instincts come along is they're there to basically kick in to protect you from something going wrong. Trusting your instincts is actually a huge deal because the probability of your instincts lying to you is so low. But the other one, and I wrote it down this way, redemption isn't so far for those who seek it. I think I pulled that from another piece of literature. I just can't think of which one. But if you truly are looking for redemption in something, you can make your amends, you can do all of this, but if you don't truly seek it, you'll never be fully redeemed. You can ask for forgiveness, and most of the time you receive it, but you don't learn your lesson if you don't know why you should be sorry. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of redemption in this book. As we definitely see it more with Tris than anybody else because she does wind up towards the end being like, okay, I've got to do something to make up for all of the stuff that I did. And she does all of it without expecting thanks. She's like, I understand that I messed up. I understand that I did something catastrophically wrong. And it is a nice change for Tris, I feel, is she learns such a big lesson out of that that redemption is not about thanks it's not about appreciation it's about selflessly going i need to make up for something speaking of redemption what do you feel about amory and his actions do you feel like at any point he sought redemption 
No. I think he had the slightest inkling of, not, not redemption, but trying to keep someone out of harm's way. He literally only did that with Trace. Yeah. Like, he didn't shit about anybody else. No, no That's one not else. Redemption. Absolutely not. No, he, he didn't redeem himself, but I think he had, like, the slightest second of hesitation. Because he could have just not said anything. He tried, and I'm not saying that that excuses his actions or anything, but he had that moment of humanity of being like, hmm, this is family. Maybe we should get her out of here. And then he does, like, the bare minimum he could to try to do that. And, and then basically he's like, oh, well, she uh, made her choice. She didn't want to go home. I'm going to go ahead and let these pirates in. And he made his choice, in a sense. He did. I feel like this book also has a lot to say about consequences actions have consequences and Mm. sometimes actions can be necessary but even so they can have very negative consequences like them destroying the pirates the the battle at the end is a necessary action they definitely can't just let the pirates come and like take everything from winding circle but tris is really shaken up by it and I guess maybe the point there is it's sort of something we have to remember that actions do have consequences. And I feel like morality is less black and white than we often make it out to be. It's not like there's necessarily this is a good action and this is a bad action. But at some point you are going to have to make a choice and whatever choice you make is going to lead to other things happening. It's going to cause something else to occur and when you make your choice you have to be willing to accept the consequences of that choice i'm trying to think of the quote i don't remember if it was from a movie or a song or something but it was like you shouldn't take a life unless you're prepared to have yours taken as well i watched v for vendetta last night like this is one of my all-time favorite movies for multiple reasons and i'm bringing it up because of the fact that you uh people often are like revenge is understandable which is kind of one of those things in that movie itself but it's also so self-destructive if that's all you live for there's a line in it where v is talking to evie and is basically like i thought i would die with all of that hate in my veins so a revenge is all consuming and if you are at the point in which you're ready to take someone else's life because of revenge then you have to be prepared for that to consume you and it is a good driving force sometimes if it's not in a toxic manner I guess is what I should say like I constantly say I live off of spite and caffeine. That the idea of revenge of, oh, I'm going to do this because you told me I couldn't or you did something to me that makes this possible. It's not a common thing in literature, which is almost disappointing because from that aspect of revenge being all-consuming and taking of your life that is a common thing we, we see that in a lot of media from V for Vendetta from uh, Princess Bride his whole life is about getting revenge but the thing we don't see is after that revenge we only see what driving force is and that's actually something that I really like about this book is 
her whole purpose in the latter half of the book is revenge. She is actively seeking to destroy the people who took Amy from her. And I really like this book particularly because after she's gotten her revenge, she's like, well, shit, I didn't think it would turn out that way. I didn't think this would actually be the thing. And so it's really, really nice to see a character on it just die after they get their revenge. Because that also is a huge thing in media is like, well, I got my revenge. And then they wind up dying within the, the next five to ten minutes of yeah. them getting revenge. And so revenge is like, bad. <laughs> Revenge is bad. You shouldn't do it. You should do spiteful things like live because people are shitty people and should be like, fuck you, I'm going to live my best life just despite you, asshole. A lot of my favorite pieces of media, they involve some type of revenge, but there's not a lot of the seeking afterwards. I really want to reference... Um... The Last of Us 2, because it deals literally with that exact situation throughout the entire game. I guess I'm not going to get into spoilers, but it is literally that. The entire game is about revenge and about how revenge is worthless and dumb, and it just, it's a cycle. There's a lot I could talk about there. Literally relates to exactly what you're talking about. Someone gets revenge on someone for something they did in the last game. When they get revenge, the main character goes after them for revenge. So it's just a circular thing that is never going to end. Revenge is bad. That's literally like the theme of that game. And it is a real common thing. Because I feel like revenge stories are like some of the simplest and easiest kind of things to get you mo- like emotionally invested in a medium. It's really, really simple. You look at something like John Wick. It does it within the this first 10 minutes. Don't kill dogs. Yeah. Don't kill dogs. Someone will come after you and completely murder you. Hundreds of people just to kick your ass for killing their dog. <laughs> well, I distinctly remember us talking about Briar possibly being a John Wick if somebody like killed his tree. He would I just everybody. He would just yeah. lose his shit and go kill everyone. Oh, that reminds me of another revenge story. I don't know if any of you have watched the movie <laughs> Old Boy. It was originally a Korean film. I think it got a Western adaptation maybe five, six, seven years ago. Also dealing with revenge. Like I said, it's just a super common kind of simple way to get get you invested. The story is about a dude who gets, he's kind of a regular dude. I mean, he's not, you know, particularly strong or brave or good or bad or anything, but he gets kidnapped and he gets locked in a room for, I don't remember if it was five or 10 years, like literally just locked, kidnapped in a room. He's fed occasionally, uh, but he can't escape and only has to watch as like an old TV. And he has no idea why he's in there. He's got no idea what's going on. He's just locked in there. And in his brain, he's like, you know, why, what did I do to get in here? What, what have I done? And he eventually kind of trains his body to get revenge on who, you know, wronged him. But super fun movie for the action scenes anyways, until you get to the story. It turns out that he outed a brother and sister at school who were having sex with each other. It was an incestuous thing, and it kind of ruined their lives, and the sister killed herself. So the brother kind of became super successful, super rich, and asked for the main character to get kidnapped and tortured. So it was just a circular 
circular thing. There's another twist that I'm not going to ruin. Just like the worst thing ever. But it, it just leads to that whole revenge is bad because it will fuck you up. There's no end to it. It's such a circular thing. Heroes by Robert Cormier. That's all I have to say. If there was something you could change about this book, what would you change? I want to know more about the Pirate Queen. Me and too! It mentions her, and then it's like, nope, you don't get to know nothing about her. It has a chapter where it's like, the Pirate Queen, and her brother is a mage. I'm like, okay, that's cool. There's a lot of mages. I want to know more about the Pirate Queen. And they're like, no, fuck you. You don't get to know about this really cool woman. It's this man instead. And of course, who always have to know about men. I want to know about the mage. There's so many mages already. I want to know about this strong, powerful woman that becomes the leader of pirates. And no, we don't get to know anything about this strong woman. We get she to just know gets, about She just gets zapped. Okay, yeah, cannon. Like, dead. Like, what the fuck? I have a headcanon answer for you, Brittany. The pirate queen is Triss from an alternate reality. Yes. yes. She blew herself up. But no, usually when you think of leader of pirates, you think of Captain Blackbeard or a man in a pirate role. And no, it's a woman that's in the role of a powerful person to be a leader of these pirates. And you don't get to know anything about her. She just is there for a second. And then, oh, hey, now she's dead. She got blown up. That's really the worst part. She was mentioned, and that was it. Yeah, like, awesome. We get to know something about this awesome pirate queen. And no, psych, she's dead. We blew her up. Nothing. So, Brittany, what I'm hearing from you is, fuck the patriarchy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of the purpose of these books, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, all this other cool stuff within the book, like how she wrote these books, because most other books, it's like three guys and a girl, and then she does this. Like, oh, you thought this pirate queen was going to be cool. No, 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 no. You get to know about her brother instead. Like, Yeah, I just wish we could have gotten to know more about the pirates in general. It would have been really, really fun to explore, I think, from a, with how, book like, these books, and really all of her books are written, is there is a focus on women in positions of power, I guess. They're not really powerful positions, but they are traditionally male positions that are equated with some kind of power. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of that throughout her books in general. And so it's kind of sad that we don't get more about this woman in a powerful position. Right? And it's really kind of sad. I, I do feel like that's one of those things that could have been hit that wasn't. I understand sort of why, because people might have gotten too invested in this uh, woman pirate. She could have had the glitter that was connected to Amory. She could have had that instead of having this fucking brother or whatever. She could have been a mage and a pirate. That would have been so cool. And then she could have been the one making contracts with people. Focus on her. Forget the man. 
think, I even I think with her? If you weren't even going to do anything with her. It would have been cool to see her being the one making contracts, her being the one who drew all of these people in. Yes. So much. Using yet. her as that kind of segue of not necessarily he's the one who's in control here. She's the one in control. She's just using him as a mage to get what she wanted. Yeah. No. But she had zero purpose, I feel, and why she was even mentioned doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me. Why even mention her if you weren't even going to use her? Her only purpose, it seems like, was for the brother to seek revenge, and revenge is a bad thing. <laughs> I should have known that revenge is bad. Doesn't he watch movies? <laughs> I don't think movies exist yet. Just open a fucking book. We know books exist. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I was kind of surprised that the mages didn't know what gunpowder was, but I don't know if that's anything that you could really change or it's not a very complicated recipe. Like I, think, I, was, I was surprised I didn't know about it. I think that depends a lot on what the time period is. And nailing down a time period for this book is a little bit difficult because they have magic and we see this 
mix of technology and magic. Do they actually mention a year at any point? I don't remember if they do. I don't think so. I've been watching BBC's Robin Hood (laughs) and it was interesting for me because I recently saw an episode, they were talking about black powder and it was brand new to them. And they were like, oh my goodness, this could be so destructive. We can't let our enemies get a hold of it, yada, yada, yada. Which I just thought it was interesting because we've just finished reading Trisha's book. And I was like, hey, that's very similar. So I can definitely see that being the thing. It's just really about like, where your time period is because at some point that was a thing in Europe people had black powder and there were Europeans who were like what the fuck is this I don't know when or how that happened I know it was brought over from China they've had it there for I mean centuries by that point, yeah I think. just the fact that they're like a learning institution and didn't know about it meanwhile some pirates out on some pirate islands figured it out uh, um, it's not like a big deal uh, I just thought it was a little weird I think but, it might be a world-building thing. Maybe there needs to be something more about about the Pirate Queen. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? We never even knew who came up with it. If it was her or if it was Anahar or someone else. Or It seems like kind of an important thing to discuss about. Maybe. Molly's making faces. We find out later. <laughs> oh my God, I missed it. Uh, I should have known. I don't know if it would be accurate to say we find out later, but there is more mention of black powder later. It's interesting from a world building aspect, and there was a lot of opportunity to kind of explore this. We know that lightning rods exist. That is not a new thing. They've had that for a while, but greenhouses, they're brand new. Like, holy shit, this is a cool thing. There's a mention in Sandry's book about chocolate being new. And cinnamon. Um, well, and tomatoes. Yes. We get these grounding points that are like commonplace in our world. Black powder, we know the pretty much the entire history of how black powder came about and how it's traveled across the continents. But at one point, it was brand new and people didn't understand exactly what it was. Right. And so it definitely neat I guess in a way to be new but I think it's also kind of like the green we don't know how greenhouses came about we don't know how they got a hold of chocolate we just know that it's kind of expensive it's new but not a lot of people had same with tomatoes we see that nobody has it rose thorn is the first person to actually be able to make these things grow it's an interesting opportunity for world building that kind of got put to the side unfortunately i want a book of just timeline of where all of this stuff came in and how it came about like i think that would be cool the world of emelon guidebook yes that would be really cool I think it's really interesting that you say that, Goodwin, because I always, even when I first read this book, that's been one of my favorite things about the the story is that they don't know what gunpowder is. Because for me, when I first read it, I was like, what is this amazing magical thing? The same way that they were thinking. And then when I got to the part where they figured out what it was, I was like, oh my God, it's gunpowder. And it blew my mind. And I wonder if for me it had that really hard hitting effect because I am not a gun person and because you are, it kind of fell flat. 
And I think that is exactly it. I am the resident weapon expert. <laughs> and I knew what it was, like, pretty much as soon as I read the chapter about it exploding. I'm like, it could be magic, but if it's coming from a cannonball, like, it's probably gunpowder. To, to me, and knowing the process of what it takes, super involved process to, to get a gunpowder, you just need to have the right ingredients. I was like, it makes sense that it's it's that. I kind of clocked it, like, right from the beginning. But yeah, I can definitely see, like, not knowing how gunpowder is made. It, it can be, like, a, a real a surprise. It just didn't work for me, just because of my expertise in that and there it's possible that we can give her some slack and be like well these are like middle grade books and most most people that age probably aren't going to know a lot about gunpowder you're totally right yeah i also think that knowing more about the world building would be really interesting i would love the emelon guidebook which brings me to my next question who is a character or what is a world building aspect that you would like to know more about or like to see more of in the future. I know the whole series. So when we get to this question, I try to pick something that feels kind of obvious that it isn't going to be in the other books, but is something that I would like to know more about. And for me, it's, I want to know more about the Pirate Queen. And within that, what is the country that she came from? Like what part of the world did she come from? And why did she become a pirate? I want to know what the socioeconomic and legal conditions were that forced her into piracy. Then how did she get a hold of this black powder? Because that might also be the answer to that question, because it's possible that she came from a place that's relatively close to China. And so they've had it for a while, but they've come around to this other area for some reason. And as a result, they're attacking these people that have no idea that it exists. I guess on that end, I'm also kind of curious as to why they're attacking Winding Circle. Why they're specifically, is there something in particular that they want? Like maybe just magic. I bet it's Nico. It's possible. I just figured it'd be all the magic thingamajigs they had, all the enchanted items or whatever they might have. Or even just the mages themselves. They say like nobody successfully attacked Winding Circle in 200 years or something. So the status aspect of like, yeah, we're going to take them down and then everybody will be afraid of us. But what about you guys? What do you know, want to know more about or hope to see in the future? I kind of want to know the Winding Circle Temple's place in the world. Because I get that they're kind of like a magical university. And I see that when they went into town to sell some wares, I guess that that's one way that they make money. Is there more to that? Or do they sit on the world stage? Are they literally just like a college? Or are they advisors to rulers? Or Nico travels a lot. And I get that he does it for his, himself. Obviously, he's also in contact with a lot of important people. Yeah, I just kind of want to see how their influence works in this world. I will throw in there. I don't know how clear it is. But they are, to some degree, a religious institution. I forget what the religion is called. But it's like the circle religion. Which is why all of the temples we've heard of are all blank circle temple, because we've had broken circle and wave circle and all of those. And so the dedicates, like Lark and Rose Thorn and Frost Pine, are dedicated to specific gods. But obviously they have people there who are part of the full community who aren't necessarily part of that religion or aren't super religious. So to some degree, 
they train like mages and just teach people because there's students there. But then there are the novices who they're in like seminary school, basically. In future books, we'll get mentions of how the dedicates kind of have assignments from whoever the higher up religious people are. But I don't know how far spread this, this religion is. So it could fairly isolated within this part of the world. It could be all over the world. And that would definitely have an effect on all of those things. You also look at like how churches work. Is it like, like you said, a small localized church? Is it something like the Catholic church that has a lot of influence? Or There's a lot there that I think I'd like to know more about. And despite them being a religious institution, there is sort of a secularism about them. Molly, you also listen to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Uh, they go to divinity school mm-hmm. and they learn about all these different religions within divinity school so I feel like it's something kind of like that that makes sense or they all have different religions but learn about other religions okay I guess that means it's my turn your turn yay indeed I think I said this during Sandry's book as well but the world building in general just all of the stuff that we're super familiar with and how new it is for them. It, it would be so much fun to learn how they came about or exactly how they were discovered or stuff like that. It would be really fun to learn more about it. I think that's really interesting because thinking about some of those new discoveries that they were talking about, like chocolate, that is a Central American thing. That's where it originated. So is this set up similar to the old world and the new world? Like, are we there? Are they traveling across oceans to get there? Or is it all together somehow and it just got... I feel like when they talk about tomatoes in Sandry's book, there is some brief mention of like, oh, it's from this one place that's across the ocean way far away. That was that was the other example, because tomatoes are also an American thing. I love world building in general. Like it's always fascinating to me to see kind of how integrated common things are. Obviously with your historical fictions, you can kind of pinpoint where everything is within it, even if it's spread out over a period of time, but condensed down, you can kind of be like, okay, well, this was going on about that time. And even with modern day fiction, it's, pretty linear if it's based around actual modern day the timeline is still pretty linear so the fact that this is combining several things across multiple time periods tomatoes and chocolate were discovered and spread at two very very different times with greenhouses that's a relatively modern perfected Type thing. They existed, but they've only been relatively recently perfected in the way that we know them and how they work. And so this one's just kind of all over the place. And like, I would love to know kind of the actual timeline. Obviously, they don't know what black powder is, but they're also familiar with some of the more modern technology. So it's interesting from a world world angle because we don't know how new these things are in reality to the rest of the world. Because for all we know, chocolate's been around for 600, 700 years, 
in this other place. It's just now getting brought over. The way that they describe black powder, this is brand new. But we don't know if it's like it is in our world where it existed for so long in China before it got brought over. I would love to have more of the the world building kind of just explained, not necessarily laid out in layman's term, but kind of like a timeline and where it came from and how it came about to be in Winding Circle. That's the stuff that fascinates me. So. The Emelon history course. Yes, <laughs> I would take it. 14th century, I believe, is when gunpowder was first brought to Europe. Mm -hmm. And that's when it was first started to be adopted. Greenhouses, I want to say, was early 1800s. So, like, there's a 400-year difference there. And then you think about the 1800s. By that point, we started to have rudimentary engines and steamships and stuff. Clearly, it's also a different type mm. technological tree when you involve magic, too. It is hard to pinpoint where stuff comes from and from when. On that front, it makes your issue with the gunpowder, Goodwin, make more sense. Because even if greenhouses aren't thing all over the place, even if it's super unique to Winding Circle, somebody there had the idea of building a building made of glass to house plants in the winter. So why haven't they thought of gunpowder? Yeah, just considering the time. Because Crane is more interested in construction than destruction. Yeah. <laughs> I think the entire temple is that way, to be fair. And that is possible that that's the reason that they haven't thought of gunpowder is they just have no, no need to blow shit up. What I'm interested in seeing is more of the different cultures. Because um, we get a little bit of information about like the traders and the merchants and the thieves, but we haven't really seen a whole <clears throat> lot actually about them yet. You're making a face, so I have. I was gonna to say, well, I've got good news for you <laughs> because the next is book. Yay! Get my wish. So after Sandry's book, I asked everybody who your favorite character that was not one of the four kids is. This time we have kind of all the same characters still. So I'm going to ask, what is your favorite side character moment? Like your favorite thing from a character that is not one of the four kids in this book? Gorse. Oh my God, Gorse. <laughs> He's amazing. He's so good. Whenever he kicks the guy out for talking shit to Briar, and that's like, mine too. Yeah, keep going. If you must break a part of him, break his toes, not his fingers. Basically, yes, Gorse. I think when I first read the series, that was the moment that made me fall in love with Gorse, and that's the scene with Gorse that stands out to me the most the way he stands up for Briar in that situation, especially because I love Briar so much. And so I have written many a Gorse-type character in my own fiction just because of that. This figure who is warm and generous and through their generosity is much kinder to the outcasts than other people are. For me, I think one of my favorite moments, honestly, one of my 
top five favorite moments in the entire series is just I'm a dancing girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love Frost Pine in general, but some of the things that he says just <laughs> amuses me. And that's one of those moments of we get to see a lot more in this book, his sense of humor. Really nice when you start interacting with him and you realize how just fun he is. I really love his character in general because even with some of the things that it stated that he's been best friend who was another apprentice dying right in front of him the way he says it is not necessarily offhanded but it oh well, this this is a thing that happens which makes you just go well i wonder what else has just made him kind of like it's a thing that happened and it was bad but it was a thing that happened and the ability to still stay so upbeat and fun just he's one of my favorite characters i love him so much mine is also probably gorse in the kitchen being gorse being goodwin yeah i I relate to that a lot it's just very a lot with that character yeah just you know trying to be kind but like don't fuck with the people around me please don't do it (laughs) there's a couple other ones that i want to mention Another one for us, Pine, that I really liked was when he was giving Dodge a shit about not being able to ride the horse, and then they get on the ship, and he's... <laughs> and then also the part with Rose Thorn, whenever they have to carry her in, and she's basically throwing a fit about it. <laughs> I love that part as well. I love that in that scene, it explicitly says that Briar speaks dreamily. Yeah. Oh, she's back home. <laughs> um, and everyone else was like, oh god, she's back. <laughs> I love how much Briar loves Rose Thorn. And he's only been there like two months or something. Like they haven't known anything about long. I have only known Rose Thorn for two months, and if anything were to happen to her, I would kill everyone in this room and then myself. That's Briar's kind of mindset, I feel. That's true. Briar would not only go John Wick over his shack end, he would go John Wick over Rosethorn. Just a reminder that in two weeks, we will be giving away a sacred reading kit, For your chance to enter, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or share our podcast on your social media page. Tell us what impact the Circle of Magic has had on your life, and remember to tag Reading Circle Temple. Okay, the next question is for Indy and I specifically. How was reading this book different this time than it was reading it previously? It was much more, I don't want to say interesting, but it was definitely different from, say, when I was reading it as a kid, mm-hmm. because I worked incredibly hard to control my anger and kind of not be a, I'm going to punch your face in, ask questions later. That's a lot of how I was when I was younger. I was super fighty. And I mean, I'm still super fighty, but I tend to act less irrationally. 
And that was one of those things when I originally read this book, it was such a huge deal for me to see someone else with such anger Mm -hmm. in them. Now that I've grown up and I'm not as angry as I used to be, it's interesting to see how differently it affected me this time around. As I've grown up, I've realized it's a pick your battles kind of situation. Yeah. You can't win every one of them and you have to be smart about which ones you pick. And Tris is not very smart about which ones she picks. <laughs> like when I was younger, I related so much to that anger and I want to fight everyone and I want to be right all the time. As opposed to now where it's, you know what, I don't have to be right. It's definitely been Tris's anger that has changed more so than the rest of the takeaway of the book. For me, very similar. The part that really stood out for me this time was when Briar and Rosethorn are first growing the plants along the shore and Briar is putting all of his hatred into the thorns and they're longer and sharper and he kind of takes pride in this. Reading it now, I kind of got this impression that Rose Thorn, it's not that she doesn't have anger, it's that she's found a way to be able to let it go. And I think that Briar hasn't discovered that yet. And really none of the kids have because they're kids. It's kind of an important lesson. And I think it wasn't until this read that I really understood the sort of importance of that and the difference between those two states of being. Because Rosethorn really strikes me as she is Briar. She's just got essentially a better handle on her emotions. That's kind of a cool thing to aspire to also. That concept of anger and how it's handled and handling it well. Also, all of the historical stuff, because I know more about those things now. So that was cool. The harbor chain. Yeah, like the harbor chain was so cool. It's like, I know about the harbor chain, which I totally didn't when I was 10. This is my favorite part of this episode. This part is for Brittany and Goodwin. This is where I give you three words about Dasha's book. And you tell me what you think is going to happen. So your three words are fire, tradition, and roses. Okay, so fire obviously has to do something with her working on the forge because they use fire to make stuff. So she's going to be using a fire to be making stuff, obviously. And then there's the tradition of traders, and she's still going to struggle with the whole fact that she's doing something that her family would not like so she goes against tradition and then roses obviously has to do with rose thorn her and rose thorn are gonna become closer and they're gonna throw roses everywhere as they become closer roses wow yeah <laughs> I, I am now picturing this like parade with yes. Daja and rose thorn. <laughs> yes I really do love the parade of the Rose parade is the Rose Petal Parade. And they're gonna throw fire and roses everywhere. 
Oh God. <laughs> Sounds terrible. <laughs> They're gonna light the roses on fire and then throw them at the parade. Now this is starting to sound like the Hunger Games. It's tradition. That is even worse. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it sound even more like the Hunger Games. It uh, makes me think yeah. of the Fire Nation in Avatar: The Last Airbender. <laughs> it's a it's a Fire Nation uh, tradition. Yes. <laughs> it's like fire flakes. Yes. That's much better than my idea. What was oh, your yeah. idea? So I think. Daja is going to learn that she is a firebender yes. and she's actually the avatar. Yes! And she's going to have to go against all the traditions of her family. And, yes. and Roses is the name of their new animal companion. <laughs> I like yours better. I was wondering if one of you was going to suggest that Roses is the name of the new animal companion, considering Shriek was the name of the animal companion. <laughs> it's in the same spot. It is at the end of the last three. I am 99.8% sure it's the new animal companion. No, 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 no. I guess think as to what this animal companion is. It's a chameleon. A plant. I think the shotgun gets a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling it. Is it like a miniature rosebush? Yeah, it's a tiny rosebush. I want to know about the courting traditions of shotguns and and tiny rose bushes. They get really excited and they throw a lot of buds and uh, Rose Thorn and Briar are like, now, now, y'all know better. Stop it. I was going to say, just grab them by the base and kind of smush the leaves together. That's how baby plants are made, right? Just kind of... That is exactly how so now that we've had all that it is time for our excerpt from chapter one of Daja's book inside the smithy Daja could hear Pollyann clearly eavesdropping not thinking of what she was up to Daja had gone to draw a fresh nail rod out of the fire instead of one length of iron she had grasped the entire fistful of rods she'd set to heat once in her grip unnoticed by Daja The rods had twined around each other, then split apart, forming three branches. One branch reached toward the fire, splitting again to form three twigs. Another branch wound itself around Daja's arm. Startled by the feel of iron on her skin, though she could handle red-hot metal without getting burned, the sensation was an odd one. Daja looked down. A third iron branch reached between the fingers of her free hand, then wrapped around her palm and over her wrist. Daja tried to pull free and failed. She bent her power on the iron, silently ordering it back to its original shape. Instead, the pieces that gripped her arms continued to grow. They each seized a shoulder, holding it fast. One spread down her back, another sprouted a tendril that gently twined around her neck. That was when she panicked and screamed. When Triss reached her, she found Daja trapped by what looked like an ancient grapevine, trunk, limbs, and all, made of iron that still glowed orange with heat. It was sprouting metal leaves. It's Growing, Pollyam gasped. She had followed Triss back to the forge. I can see that, growled Triss. Now hush, I have to do some magic. Frostpine, she cried silently, calling through her magical connection to her friends. They needed Daja's teacher and they needed him now. Briar, Sandry, get Frostpine, hurry. Triss, make it stop, Daja begged. I can't, 
magic won't touch it. My magic, Tris felt Briar's and Sandry's magic's flower in her mind as if they stood within her skull and saw through her eyes. She wished that Frostpine were part of their link. Things would be so much easier if she could speak to him as she did to her friends. Briar, it's got leaves. It's yours, Sandry announced. Do something. Tris, open to him, to us. Daja, breathe deep, ordered Tris. Calm down. It's harder to work if you're, how calm would you be? The captive demanded. Tris hesitated, then grabbed Daja's hands. Briar and Sandry concentrated, using their intertwined magics, following the ties that stretched between all four of them. They reached into Daja with Tris, pouring in to fill Daja's skin. I never made anything not grow before, Briar told his friends, and the metal confuses me. He spread through the girls, reaching into the limbs of the iron plant. All of them felt him twine around Daja's power, blocking the tendrils as the metal reached for more growth. All of them felt him grip, gathering the spreading power into his fist, twisting it around. When he released it, the magic was locked in place. Tris and Daja opened their eyes. The iron vine had stopped growing. It had also wrapped its tendrils around Tris's hands. Tug as she might, she could not pull herself free of Daja. Reading Circle Temple is produced by us, Molly, Brittany, Indy, and Goodwin. If you like listening, tell your friends about us. If you don't like listening, tell your enemies. Please tell us what you think of the Circle of Magic by emailing us at templeofreadingcircle at gmail.com or join our Reading Circle Temple Facebook group. You can find more of Reading Circle Temple at readingcircletemple.com or find Reading Circle Temple on Tumblr. And thanks to Yellow is for Happy for our artwork. You can find more of their artwork on Tumblr at Yellow is for Happy Draws or on Instagram at Shannon and Draws. Also, thanks to Britain's brother, Thomas Dick, for our theme music. You can find more of his music by following Thomas Dick on SoundCloud. Thanks to Tamara Pierce for writing The Circle of Magic. And thanks to you for listening. Let's all have coffee next week. have that song from uh, Hunchback and Ostradam stuck in my head. Their song about Gorse and Hunchback and uh, I need to watch this movie again. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.